Thanks for choosing to spend time in the studio with Michael Card. What you're about to hear in this podcast was recorded several years ago in Franklin, Tennessee. Though some of the details about guests and ministries may have changed since this was first broadcast, the messages discussed in these conversations still ring true. Check out what's new with Michael's ministry when you visit michaelcard.com or connect via Facebook or Twitter when you search for Michael Card. And let us know your reaction to what you've discovered from this classic edition in the studio. with Michael Card. Welcome to this week's edition. I'm Wayne Shepard sitting in the studio with Michael Card. That's what we call him. what we call <laughs> Seems it. Seems appropriate. Yeah. How'd they come up with the name of that show? I well, don't know. <laughs> Michael, great to see you again. Thanks, Wayne. It's good to see you too. Thanks for coming all the way down from Chicago hey, just to be here and spend this time together. No thanks needed. I love to come yeah. here, Michael. Here's a wonderful note from a listener named Pamela who says, thanks for blessing me with God's inspired program in the studio. I've been raised in the church all my life. I'm so glad that in addition to the Bible study, you focus on the arts. Hmm. For so long, the church has ignored and even criticized the arts. We have talked about that, haven't we? Yeah, there are a lot of believers out there who are artistically gifted who can't find a place to plug that in, and Mm -hmm. and that's what we're trying to help them do. Pamela says, it's very refreshing to hear how God uses the arts to reach and minister to people. Keep Hmm. up the good work. Well... Pamela, we intend to do that with God's help, so thank you. Yeah, and in fact, on this very show, we're going to have Makoto Fujimura, mm-hmm. who's one of the greatest artists in in, uh, in, in the country right now, yeah. some people say in the world. He's coming up in the second half of our program today. Also in the second half, we'll talk with Dave Zanotti. I don't think you've met Dave yet, have no, you? No, he's a friend of yours. Yeah, uh, yeah, Dave lives in Cleveland, and he's his ministry is in the public square. Uh-huh. And uh, I love Dave and anxious for you to meet him. So that's coming up in the second half of the program today. Let's remind ourselves and listeners what our purpose is here each week. Well, the program is divided into three parts, uh, community, commentary, and creativity. And all of these uh, we reflect uh, biblically. We try to demonstrate uh, in in, in terms of uh, creativity how uh, people, our guests, integrate their faith uh, with uh, their um, artistic gifts, whatever Mm -hmm. that might be. Uh, Community is uh, the story of how uh, biblical community is being lived out here in Franklin and and other places uh, all over the country. And then finally, uh, commentary is directly related to Bible. We try to give uh, uh, some some, uh, new ideas on uh, looking at Scripture. We have some wonderful guests, people like John Piper, Packer, sure. Uh, but you teach people. us as well. As a matter of fact, you and I will uh, have the commentary session ourselves here today. Yeah, when we so. can't get anybody else to come in, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> no, we look forward to that, Michael. And sometimes you can't really segregate, you know, commentary from community or creativity. They all that, seem to melt together, don't they? And we sort of discovered that along the way. We would have someone come in for a creativity segment and all of a sudden realize, oh no, this is he's talking about community. So it becomes a community <laughs> segment because they are woven together as that's they right. should be. That's the point. That's exactly yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly it. Well, before we begin our commentary section, and we'll see how the creativity and mm. the community fits into it as well today, we're going to ask you to sing a song here in the studio. We're going to hear from you several times during the program today. But the song, I'll never forget going to Cuba with you. Uh-huh. And before people recognized your name, they recognized the song that you sang there. Yeah, it was wonderful when they would start singing El Shaddai in Spanish yes. and then sing the Hebrew parts. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. It was a wonderful experience. It is truly known worldwide, as it should be. It's a wonderful song that God gave to you. El Shaddai, Michael Card in the studio.
Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same. By the power of the name, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Erechim Kana Adonai. We will praise and lift you. song. I don't know if you've ever been tempted to put a counter on the piano <laughs> every time you sing El Shaddai. <laughs> no. <you> cl- <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. That's not what motivates you, I know, Michael, but uh, thanks for singing that here in the studio today. We're going to hear more of your music coming up in just a moment. Now, you've been working on some new things of late, haven't you? Yeah, we, we just finished an, uh, an album of laments. I had done this um, uh, study on lament uh, called A Sacred Sorrow. It looks at the lives of David, uh, Jeremiah, Job, and Jesus and how lament functions in their lives. And uh, had had hoped long ago to write some laments uh, from that, and mm-hmm. and discovered that it, it took a lot longer. I mean, th- this might become a creativity <laughs> section right here, uh, but uh, realized uh, that uh, writing laments is much more difficult than I had imagined. But finally, uh, got together a collection of songs. So we just finished recording that. That's called the Hidden Face of God. And then there's a, a devotional book that's going to come along with that that I'm working on right now. 
with um, biblical uh, meditations Good. on other experiences something we can take and study along with the scriptures in hand right yeah yeah good yeah good well yeah. i look forward to that yeah, can we talk t- about me, that i look forward to that <laughs> yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> but you have been working on it so can we talk have, about some of the things that are going into this sure um i, I you know it's funny and this is this shows you know the, the different uh, character of the bible as opposed to any other book you know, you never squeeze anything dry. So I, you know, worked for a couple of years, wrote this lament book and sort of thought, ah, you know, <laughs> done. I'm done with lament and and uh, realized that I just not even scratched the surface mm-hmm. of it. And so in going back through and looking at uh, even in the life of Jesus, more experiences of lament. And uh, in particular, there's one uh, one experience uh, lamenters consistently uh, complain about in the Psalms of lament is the silence of God. You know, mm-hmm. why won't you answer me? You know, are you deaf? You know, that sort of thing. How long right. until you respond? And so um, I, I recorded that wonderful song of uh, Andrew Peterson called The Silence of God. And I was trying to uh, write an essay on that and look back again at the life of Jesus. And, um, and and again, this was all new for me, Wayne, but I, I knew that there were three times in Jesus' life that God had audibly spoken. He spoke at the baptism of Jesus. Right. This um, is my son. This is my son in Matthew. This is my son, he says. And then uh, he, he speaks when uh, at a passage called um, the coming of the Greeks uh, in, in John. Jesus talks about the fact that uh, he he's uh, he, he asked God to glorify his name, and, and God says... Uh, I have glorified it uh, and will glorify it again. And then um, the, the third time he speaks is at the Transfiguration, uh, where once again he says, this is my son. Right. If we just look at the Matthew passages uh, of the Transfiguration and uh, the baptism, and then the passage in John 14, what I realized, Wayne, and it really shocked me, was that even when God audibly speaks, he's not speaking to Jesus. When Jesus is really? uh, baptized, he says, this is my son. Oh, okay, okay, sure. In, yeah. in the transfiguration, uh, this is my beloved son. Listen, you, you know, mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John, you listen to him. And the, the, the most pointed example is the John 14 passage. When God speaks, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And Jesus makes the point. He tells the people, this voice didn't come from me. It came for you. Mm-hmm. And so what I think these passages hint at, and again, it's just a hint, but they hinted the fact that even when God spoke, it wasn't to Jesus as such, which means that, like us, Jesus lived his life in the context of the silence of God. Interesting. When he huh? goes into the wilderness and prays, you know, I had always imagined that there was this miraculous exchange, you know, God would show up. If there was, we don't know about it. If there was, we don't know about it. And, and the, the prayer scenes we do have of Jesus, most particularly in the garden, uh, it's the silence of God. Yes, I mean yeah. Jesus is agonizing in in the Garden of if Gethsemane. Ever there was a time for God to speak. It, ex- that's exactly yes. the point. Yeah. That's exactly the point. If God should have spoke up, that was the perfect time, and yet He doesn't. In fact, the angels appear, and even the angels can't comfort Jesus. He is so um, upset. He's so he's suffering to such a degree in the Garden, and so uh, it just made me appreciate all over again the incarnation, the fact that Jesus has fully come. I mean, mm. I don't know about you, but mm. I've never heard God mm. speak to me directly. Yeah. He speaks through his word. You know, he speaks through the silence of prayer. He speaks through uh, life. But uh, uh, God has never shown up and said, okay, Mike, I want you to do this. And when you discourage, do this. 
uh, that hasn't happened for me. And, and it may be that it, it didn't happen that way for Jesus either. It was God's Word that spoke to him because he's, you know, obviously he is God's Word. He, he speaks from the Word all the time. In fact, Jesus rarely opens his mouth that he's not quoting the Bible. <laughs> but uh, perhaps um, he, he so fully experienced uh, our flesh in his incarnation that even that was part of his experience. And that, that was a new idea for me. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get you off track here. Maybe you're not thinking in this direction, but I'm thinking of Hebrews 1. Uh-huh. Uh, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Mm-hmm. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he made the universe and everything in it. Well, I think even more point is the Hebrews 5 passage where it speaks of Jesus as our high priest and these loud cries and tears, uh, which is lament, and then uh, the, the promise that he was heard, Jesus was heard because of uh, his sacrifice was, uh, was pleasing to God. Well, if you will, allow me to read the passage yeah. you're talking about, and then will you sing that song, sure. He Was Heard? Yeah. That, I mean, you've studied this enough that you've written a song about sure. it, so we'll ask you to do that here in the studio. It's Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could deliver him out of death. And God heard his prayers because of his reverence for God. So even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And it could be, Wayne, what we're saying is that that, that part of what he suffered was this silence the, 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 of yeah, God. In a sense, a separation. Yeah. yeah. Michael, let's ask you to sing that song then. He was heard. In the days of old, the priest would come with a lifeless sacrifice. While the crowd in anxious silence would wait outside. As he entered in the temple, they only hoped he would be heard. God would give them a tomorrow And the priest would stay alive Ignoring all the pain. 
Michael Card in the studio. He was heard again from Hebrews chapter 5. In this way, God qualified him, speaking of Jesus, as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation Mm. to all who would obey him. And he's qualified in that he has completely experienced everything that we have experienced, Mm. and uh, that's the incarnation. Wow. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, while we're right here in Hebrews, can we continue on? Would that be all right, Michael? Yeah, let's go to 13. Chapter 13. uh, Shall I read some of these verses? Or why don't you, I read earlier, you read this time. Okay. Uh, 13, uh, beginning, I'll hand you the Bible because we've got one between us here today for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, um, in in 13, we have this beautiful benediction um, at the end that focuses on who Jesus is and, uh, and what he means and what the incarnation was all about. And in, there's, in, in the middle of that, there's a passage uh, where the writer of Hebrews, we're not sure exactly who that was. That's an argument that's going uh, ongoing and will keep going ongoing until the Lord comes back. <laughs> um, but at one point, uh, the writer says, stay away from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he, for God, has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That is why we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, that's me? a quotation from the Old Testament, isn't it? It is. Uh, both of those are. This idea of never will I leave you and never will I forsake you is uh, Deuteronomy. comes right out of Deuteronomy. And, and that, uh, and of course, I see everything in terms of lament, but that comes back to this, uh, this idea of God walking with us and being with us, which is one of the things that the lamenters lament the most about is the uh, the visible absence of God. Where where are you? Mm-hmm. Don't hide your face from me. Show up. And of course, God does show up in, in the book of Job. He shows up in, in various Psalms. But what you tend to forget when you're lamenting is that uh, more than you desire God to be with you, uh, the deepest desire of God's heart is to be with us. Mm. And that passage in Hebrews 13 mm-hmm. reflects it um, this this idea of being with us is reflected in every every institution of the Old Testament is based on this desire of God to be with us. The big promise for uh, keeping the law in Leviticus twenty six twelve. I mean, what do you get if you keep the law? God says, "I'll walk with you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people." So we cling to that. Oh, we, yeah, and we hope for that. And, and, and our, our hope is really uh, fired by the fact that we read in God's Word that He wants to be with us. That's what the tabernacle was for, see, mm-hmm. God, so I can dwell in the midst of my people. That's what the temple uh, was for. So is it a lack of patience in our part that, you know, we just, well, we, we want it now? Yeah, well, that, that's part of it. And, and part of it is the, the problem of God, <laughs> the fact that His... <laughs> His uh, timeline, you know, a day mm-hmm. is like a thousand years, and right. a thousand years is like a day, and 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 it's it's difficult in this fallen world to to deal with the things we have to deal with: death, disease, mm-hmm. uh, sin, all the things that uh, press in around us. It's hard to wait, you know. Maranatha, O oh Lord, come. Yes. Uh, the the New Testament Christians uh, believed that that cry would actually hasten His coming back. And I really think it's it's the right thing to long. It's the right thing to be impatient. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why in his word, God gives us the words, how long? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't know what to pray, open to Psalm 13, and God has given in his word this perfect prayer. Okay, what is it? How long till you show up? I don't think I can hold on much longer. Unless anyone listening think this is just, you know, 
pie in the sky kind of stuff. I mean, mm. you you know, you you've been through this. I've been through this. Yeah. The, those seasons, those waiting times, those sure. those those times of seemingly silence from God. Yeah, and and that's where I think our faith is really tested, and that's where we discover uh, the the worth of God, and that that's another idea that comes yeah. through when we study the lament, is that worship, which is an experience of the worth of God, mm. is really is really learned in the yeah. wilderness. I mean, and it's those wilderness times mm-hmm. in our lives, mm-hmm. Wayne, where we, we learn to worship God. So, so you're saying that perhaps the silence of God is is imposed by God mm-hmm. so that things can happen to us in the meantime. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm saying that given, given the fallenness of the world and the separation that we experience uh, from uh, the, the visible uh, presence of God, although we know he, he's Emmanuel, he's yeah. always with us. Right. Uh, you know, we please, have the indwelling spirit. We have the spirit with yeah. us, and we have his deep desire to be with us. I mean, right. he gave his son right. so he could be with us. So Still, there's the human experience yes. of fallenness yes. and separation and frustration. It's a death-impregnated world, as Bill Lane used to say. And so in, in that in-between time, uh, we have given uh, to us in the Bible perfect prayers to uh, to express to God our longing for him our our frustration at him mm-hmm. sometimes and uh but haven't haven't you found to be true i mean i i have experienced some of this that even though i i, I don't understand the seemingly silence from god right looking back on it with maybe months or years later you look back and say well i wouldn't have I wouldn't have come to where I am if I hadn't gone through that experience. Right. I, I, I wouldn't know him as as, yes. as well now yes. if I had not gone through that. Now, Absolutely. it it sort sort of that's you know your life is lived forwards and understood backwards. <laughs> and and when we now encounter people who are in the midst of these kinds of struggling, right. I don't think it's appropriate to say, well, yeah. hey, don't worry, you know, I happened to me and yeah. I'm okay now. Comfort one another with the comfort with which you have received. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's when Jesus uh, through Paul tells us to weep with those who weep, not necessarily to fix their point of view because I don't think you can understand you know that you don't have that in perspective that you were talking about until you've been through the valley mm-hmm. and so sometimes those of us who've been through the valley you know more than once uh, when we when we come alongside people who are suffering now what we need to do is weep with them mm-hmm. and perhaps when the time is appropriate let them know that yeah. you know there is a time when God is going to show up and you're mm-hmm. going to realize he's you're going to realize he's been holding on to you all along. Yeah. That's what Job sees. Instead of, uh, and we've talked about this before, instead of just quoting Bible verses and spouting yeah. promises and right. why don't you believe when God has said this? Yeah. And, you know, you've got to empathize with that, yeah, what must, going through. It must be a lack on your of faith on your <laughs> oh, part boy. that you're going through this. And and again, I think we learned through Job that it's, it's, it's faith. Uh, a lament is a prayer of faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, a complaint, a prayer of complaint and fr- frustration to God is still a prayer. Yeah. Right. It's still an act of faith. So regardless of what anyone who's listening is going through, and, and you can imagine people who are listening to us at different times oh. and in different places, what what the burdens are. Yeah. And, and, and the truth is a lot of things that people are experiencing out there, we can imagine right. because we haven't been yeah, through them. True. But the, but here's the good news. Jesus does know what you've been through because there's nothing that you can experience, no suffering that you can experience in this world that you can't say, well, Jesus didn't understand that. He mm. didn't experience that because we know the in every every weakness, every sort of suffering, he's the man of sorrows. He became completely familiar with our grief. And so for those that are listening who are in a, a deep place of suffering, we have the assurance that, no, he knows. Mm. And he, he wants to be with you more than you want him. And, uh, and that's a reason for hope. 
Michael, we have just a few seconds before I need to ask you to sing this song from Hebrews chapter 13, Never Will I Leave mm. You, but let's pray for listeners let's and do for this truth. Uh, Father, um, we we have on our hearts uh, one single individual who who's listening who is uh, in the, the the darkest place that that uh, that could possibly be imagined, uh, things that that uh, are are beyond us. But thank you, Jesus, that none of that is beyond you. That in your own flesh you experienced all of these different kinds of pain, and that you you redeemed them. You uh, you took them upon yourself on the cross and suffered and died for them, so that you can come alongside uh, this one particular person that we have in mind. So that is what we ask right now, Father, is that you would come alongside uh, and and whisper in their ear, as it were, you'll never leave them, you'll never forsake them, despite what may be going on uh, in their life. We pray, Lord, in your name, that you would make yourself unusually aware uh, to that person uh, and, and, and let them hear you say in a fresh way, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the earth. Amen. Michael, thank you. Accompanied by cellist John Ketchings, Michael sings, Never Will I Leave You. Trust in me and keep your life free from what the love of money will do. Am I not enough for you?
Thank you, Michael and John. And with that song, we've come to the halfway point here in the studio with Michael Card. Your comments and Bible questions are always welcomed when you email us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. There's much more you can discover about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry online at michaelcard.com. And there's more coming up in the second half on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Join us next week for a new edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Our focus will be on cities. We'll hear from our friend Corrado Primavera to uncover the details behind the great fire in ancient Rome. And then we'll turn our attention to modern urban ministry with Dr. John Feuder. Conversation and music grounded in God's Word and addressing issues we all need to face waiting for you. Look for this current post and tell a friend about the podcast. Hear the program and get details at michaelcard.com. in the studio with Michael Card this week here in our program. Wayne Shepherd here with Michael and one of our favorite guests coming up here on yes. the phone. Makoto Fujimura, who is a, a wonderful artist from uh, New York City. And uh, he's been on the program a number of times. A good friend, a good brother. Um, and uh, and now a movie critic, I understand. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> definitely a movie uh, goer. Well, Ebert and Roper weren't available today, so we have Fujimura and Card Ooh. here to talk about two <laughs> recent movies that have really captured America's attention. One, of course, is The Chronicles of Narnia. Yes. And the other is King Kong. Now, this is kind of an unusual combination to talk about, I think, don't you, Michael? Yeah, yeah. And, well, and uh, Makoto's written um, a commentary uh, comparing and contrasting the two uh, movies, the, the portrayal of, of Aslan, the lion in, uh, in Narnia, the lion, the witch, in the wardrobe, uh, and uh, King Kong. And, and it's my understanding, uh, Makoto, that what you're saying is that uh, the, the portrayal of, uh, of King Kong uh, was in, in 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 essence a better portrayal uh, than Aslan in um, in Narnia. Whoa. Is that right? Those, those well, are fighting yeah, words, aren't they? It's, uh, <laughs> I, I I ventured uh, to write that, knowing that I might get hate. Well, my response yeah. is my response is Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> which is which is the right response? But you know, I I, I think I mean let me pref- preface this by saying I, I only write about what I care about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's actually a luxury that we, as in Christian circles, are able to talk about you know two of the biggest box hits uh, of the year, yeah. really, um, and and talk about the redemptive qualities. You know, critique each film, um, and I, I really think it's it's actually you know um, carrying out Jesus' command to. Uh, to think through and to whom much is given, uh, much is required. When, I think it's a great way to evangelize, too, because you ask uh, friends who, who aren't believers to come and then interact in those movies. Yeah. I think the more yeah. the more interesting our interactions uh, with them are, like yours is, right. I think uh, the, the more we'll engage. Yeah, I, yeah. I think so, too. And yeah. so this is a very healthy dialogue. Uh, yeah. So you, you agree with you know, either <laughs> side or not. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful dialogue. All right. Yeah. Well, before we give Mr. Carter rebuttal time here, Marco, yes. uh, go, yeah. go ahead and, and lay out your premise about uh, Aslan and King Kong. Well, let me, let me you know, I, I love both films. I, I was really uh, wanting Nadia to be better <laughs> than King Kong. It's, it's really an amazing um, 
series of uh, you know movies that's come out in recent times. Uh, first with The Passion uh, with Mel Gibson, and uh, also with uh, the Lord of the Rings series with Peter Jackson, the director who directed King Kong, mm-hmm. and um, you know it was his dream to do this and. Um, so I, I, I was hoping that the, you know Nanya portrayal would be just as powerful, and uh, it would it would even do better, you know, as a movie. And and so I, I was uh, when I went to see the films, um, you know, I came away thinking, yeah, they're they're both good films. Now, can, is there a possibility that they can be great films? You mm-hmm. know, good films that would really transform the. Uh, the way that we think about film, mm-hmm. and that you know that kind of thinking um, is um, something that we don't do in our culture. Yeah. Uh, we we tend to think about you know is it a hit? Is it gonna win the Academy Award? You know, and it, it's um, entertainment. It's something that we yeah, uh, fill exactly. some time with. But you know, I I think as Christians, we we really need to steward our gift, um, whether it be. Um, something that came out of our own, like C.S. Lewis stories, which which I love, and um, uh, you know, but but also uh, stories, uh, myths that come out of you know movie making, and and King Kong is certainly one of those. So, uh, what was missing in in the portrayal of Aslan that that you found in King Kong? Well, I think King Kong, you know, as, as if you compare two beasts, you know, is really. An amazing accomplishment um, because of not not because of the computer graphics and the advancement of special effects. Both 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 films have that, mm-hmm. but but the portrayal of this Kong as this fallen you know beast uh, in in the film, um, which really he was portrayed as as great and glorious and fearsome and beautiful at the same time, uh-huh. which I wanted Aslan to be. You know, yes. I wanted Aslan to have that quality that that uh, be a kind of an enigma. And I, I thought the you know I thought the Kong movie captured that uh, uh, better than <laughs> better than Narnia. Are you referring maybe the the line in uh, Narnia where they they say you know is is Aslan. Uh, uh, dangerous? No, but he's right. good. Is that the is that the idea? Yeah, which they, by the way, cut out from the film. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and I think I think it was a, a conscious decision to, if if not make it tame, more manageable as as a movie, and mm. uh, because it 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 you you have to take a bit of a risk, you know, to do that, and um, I'm not I'm not sure they they had the uh, freedom to even you know consider that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Mako, you say that in King Kong we see the transformation of the beast to glimpse love and experience beauty. Right. Uh, that means a lot to you as an artist. Would you comment on that? Sure. And you know that the, the whole film is actually Peter Jackson's, uh, you know, attempt to give us what a movie can do. You know, mm-hmm. and he 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 loves this medium. Um, and he, you know, the, the, so so in a sense, King Kong represented. Peter Jackson's, mm-hmm. um, you know, ambition, and um, I think what he he actually accomplished is is this uh, incredible um, um, contrast between Kong, who is a beast, and Kong, who actually is you know communicating and relating to uh, Naomi Watts' character, and and you know, and doing this without words, 
um, mm-hmm. which which was uh, remarkable to me. And this kind of um, relationship and and layers of uh, psychology that was built up in the movie, it, it, it was not in Nanya. Uh, you know, there, there was no uh, interaction there between Adlan and and the characters. It seemed to me, other than you know uh, the, the storyline itself that mm-hmm. that brings some of that. I, I see the point uh, that you're making, Makoto. I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I long for more of that sort of uh, vi- visceral experience with Aslan. He, he was maybe a little too tame hmm. mm-hmm. in Narnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is it necessary that you and Mako agree on this, Michael? Uh, no, I think iron is supposed to sharpen iron, and... Uh, and since Mako's so much smarter than I am anyway. <laughs> no, but, you know, what's interesting is that Toki and J.R. Toki and C.S. Lewis had this kind of disagreement they all the time. You point out in your, art, in your article that uh, isn't, it, isn't it ironic that Peter Jackson uh, does a Tolkien film, right, and right. then right after that comes uh, the Narnia, Narnia film, and then Jackson comes with King Kong. So it's almost like the, this line of reasoning with Tolkien and, and Lewis is going on into film. Right, and and by the way, Lord of the Rings, that is a great film. Yeah. Uh, no, no question about that. And, well, Makoto, if if listeners want to read what you've written in your review, yes. it's on your website. Can be yes, accessed there. Yes. Okay, we'll put a link at michaelcard.com then to it. And Refractions, which is your blogs, right, is is there? There's a link to there that right. as well. There's, there's a link to that as yeah. well. Yeah. And well. While we have a moment, what else is going on in your life that we can well, talk about? Well, we're getting ready for a major conference in February. It uh, starts from February 23rd and um, 24th, 25th here in New York City. It's called Artists as Reconcilers. So it's, it's mm. all about artists having these conversations and um, stimulating dialogues. Um, we, um, International Arts Movement is, is a uh, nonprofit arts organization that I founded. And we, we want to use the time to bring together artists. Uh, we're, we're having Patricia Heaton come, who is the uh, wife of uh, uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, mm-hmm. and uh, Dana Joya, the um, poet and uh, chairman of the National Endowment of the Arts. Mm. And Nancy Piercy is going to be there. Um, I know Nancy and, very well. Yes, yes, and uh, Rob Mathis' band, who is, who is an incredible uh, musician, uh, will be performing throughout. And uh, the, the, the whole theme is on reconciliation, and it's the, do we dare to think about this as artists who are known for, you know, the shock value and, um, and um, uh, addiction <laughs> to mm-hmm. everything. You know, can we see artists as key reconcilers in, in culture, um, leading peacemakers. And, um, you know, so we're, we're tackling three themes of reconciling between artists and God and artists and the church and artists to themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, Miroslav Wolf, who is a remarkable theologian uh, at Yale, is, is, has written extensively on issues of reconciliation, so he'll be there to extend that into the, uh, into culture. Mm. So we're really excited about this, and that that is available at uh, um, if you are interested, imny.org. All right, we'll we'll place links yeah. at michaelcard.com because this is something we want to uh, we want people to know about. Michael. Yeah, and at, if if you're up to it, we'd love to follow up on the conference after after sure. you're done and talk to you yeah. about what uh, what happened there. Yeah, 
That would be, be great. Yeah. Well, Makoto, thanks again for uh, sure. uh, uh, what you always do, which is take us to a place. Stimulate we, thinking. We, we, never, we never knew we could go. <laughs> well, top of the uh, Empire State. That's the best place to go. <laughs> That's so. the one thing I liked about King Kong. I love to see New York City yeah. portrayed in 1932. Yeah, it was remarkable. You know, that was all in the studio, and Peter Jackson somehow captured it. Wow. <laughs> I don't know, anyway, yeah. Well, thanks again for uh, giving us some of your time and and sharing your heart as well as your mind with us. You're welcome. God bless you. Well, Michael, we've had a lot to think about on the program here today, but uh, don't take the thinking hat off just yet. No. We're just about to put it on, I've got the feeling. <laughs> I think so. Uh, you probably have met just about everybody in the world, but once in a while there's somebody that I can bring to the table that I've that, met f- before you have. <laughs> that's so. right. And that's the case with Dave Zanotti, who joins us in the studio now, right here in Franklin, Tennessee. Dave is president and CEO of the American Policy Roundtable. Do you ever think you'd find yourself in Middle Tennessee? Well, especially having uh, lunch at Puckett's. Mm-hmm. There you I go. Mean, now I'm really a part of Middle You're part of the club now. You've been uptown now. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, what is the American Policy Roundtable? The American Policy Roundtable is a group of missionaries dedicated to the American mission field. Hmm. Our job is to try to bring biblical principles, the kind of principles that gave birth to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, Hmm. back into the dialogue and back into the mindset Hmm. of our fellow citizens. And by the way, Michael, by way of introduction of Dave, I get the strong impression this is a calling in mm-hmm. his life. This isn't just a vocation for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if it wasn't a calling, I'd have to be truly nuts to be doing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's not exactly what you call popular. Where mm-hmm. I used to think, you know, when I was back in Bible college and theological seminary, dear God, please don't send me to Africa. Mm-hmm. I've changed my mind It was worse. That. Yeah. <laughs> it I, was I much worse. Yeah, huh. He sent uh, you to America. Huh. The mission field of America. Yeah. You know? Well, now, you, you, you describe yourselves as missionaries. What is your particular mission field, though? I have, I have an, an idea it's a different arena than most Christians are active well, in. The first place is the hearts and the minds of God's people, mm-hmm. All right, because we carry the burden of statesmanship. We carry the burden to be salt and light, to be redemptive in this culture. Mm-hmm. So that's the first mission field, is to come back to, to God's people and help them remember what the Bible teaches about the whole arena of civil government. Because mm-hmm. we've abdicated, haven't we? Well, and, and abdication for Samuel chapter, chapter 8 is a critical passage that the founders understood in starting this country. They mm. understood the equation that abdication equals slavery. Mm. It, it goes in steps, but mm. that's what God told his people in mm. 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you, my people, don't bring my concepts to the way that you govern yourselves and the way that you live together with each other, mm-hmm. You're in big trouble. All right. I dare say that most people hearing what you just said think, oh, I've got this guy pegged. I know what he's talking about. Because we, we have a stereotypical view of people, Christians. Right. I'm about 400 pounds. I have a white belt buckle with a big eagle on it, white shoes, and a no hair. All right. So that's hey, not true. Steady on the no hair comment. <laughs> Already I've lost control. So, sorry for those of you that are follically challenged. Set us straight. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Italian-American. No, I, I, I was raised in a Roman Catholic family. I met Christ when I was 15 years old and 16 years old. I was really, really, really in trouble. I didn't know anything about being a Protestant. Mm-hmm. First Protestant church I walked into, I had no clue what to do. I walked in with five of my buddies. We found out we were a part of the Jesus movement. We didn't know what that meant. All we knew is that Christ mm-hmm. had saved us, mm-hmm. and we needed help. 
And that's where we started on this pilgrimage. Mm. Well, how were you turned towards the, the political arena, though, in particular? Well, I was out in ministry because what happened was people said to me, well, start giving us your testimony. I said, what's that? They said, well, tell us what happened to you. Mm. And I told them how I was running away from home, going to get lost with the SDS Weathermen Underground and George Washington at, uh, just, I was there to get lost. I had a Georgetown jacket. I was going to go get lost in the subculture. Mm. And I got hooked up in a meeting that was a Youth for Christ meeting, hmm. and, and I heard about Jesus for the first time. I'd ever really heard about—I never, never saw John 3.16. It was hmm. in Washington, D.C. I came back, changed every major. People said, well, give us your testimony. I told them what happened to me. The next thing you know, I was in church after church after church. They said, now you go to Bible college. So I started hmm. traveling with a, with, a, with a group, a young people's ministry uh, singing group. Uh, they did the singing, fortunately. I did the talking. Mm-hmm. And I ran out of material, went to Bible college. When I went to Bible college, mm. I met Dr. Francis Schaefer. Mm. And then I understood my personal calling wasn't to the pastor, but mm-hmm. it was to the missing field of public policy. Mm-hmm. And then we started to put the pieces together. And I was back with my wife and I back in the 70s. So then uh, that's, that's how we got involved. You feel like we're winning that battle to, to, for the hearts and minds of believers to influence the culture? At the, in the end, every knee shall bow. Yeah, every it, tongue shall confess. So we're winning the battle. Is, so it, the is, battle's already it, won. Yeah, is winning the battle even the right question? That's yes what and I wanted, no. Yeah. The, the, the question is the right question, but mm-hmm. the answer is the perspective. Mm-hmm. The battle's already won. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. The question mm-hmm. is, are we doing our part at mm-hmm. this time and space to make certain that everyone who can, by the grace of God, hear is hearing, but not just hearing, is seeing. See, the great problem with the propagation of the American gospel is it's distended from the formula that Jesus has prescribed, which is let men see your good deeds to glorify your Father in heaven because people see the gospel before they hear it. Mm-hmm. But we've gotten this idea that the gospel is transactional, mm-hmm. that it's about signing up. It's about getting down the aisle. It's about getting the, your, your, your eternal dance card punched. It's mm-hmm. about making that decision. Mm-hmm. We've been selling insurance policies instead of encouraging people to walk on the path of life. Hmm. And so we've distended. It's, people are sick of hearing what we say. Yeah, They want to see some action. And when we enter the public square in the arena of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, we get our hands dirty with the matters that concern our brethren. Mm-hmm. Suddenly people go, wow, this is different. What's, what's your deal? What's your agenda? What are you after? Mm-hmm. You're after the power. No. Mm-hmm. Why do we need any power? Our boss has risen from the dead. Mm-hmm. He's got all the power already. Wow. We're wow. just here kind of handing out cups of water in his name. Mm-hmm. Letting go of power and uh, washing feet yeah. where we can. Well, and because it's you can't hold it anyhow. We're not, mm. we're not the power holders. Mm. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. I didn't write that. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that. Mm. Therefore, that's one of the biggest therefores in the New Testament. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Mm. And one of those vestiges of authority is civil government. When Mm. he says, teaching them to obey all the things whatsoever I've commanded you, that includes the proper interface with civil government as people of faith. Mm -hmm. But Dave, I come back to what I was trying to get at earlier, and that is that people have a certain way of viewing people like you who are in that public square, and we... You know, we think that we're out to uh, to change this into a Christian nation. You well, know, we're you know trying to play about. a numbers game. Sure, yeah. they think we're reactionary, and they've got good reason to yeah. think that because most of the time that's how we do react. We are reactionary mm-hmm. as opposed to being different than that. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to be reactionary. We're supposed to be reformational mm-hmm. in our thinking. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not reactionaries in this process. 
that God is already sovereign. He's already solved all these problems. Our job is to be redemption. Mm-hmm. Bring redemption. Not reactionary. Be redemptional. Mm. We're to bring the ambassadorship of Christ. We're to bring the reconciliation of Christ. Now, does it always work? Yeah, I was going to say, do we stand on the sidelines then and oh, just no, watch no, things no, go no, by? No, 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 no. See, because America has a unique situation, if we understand our history right and the history of the gospel, we go back to the 13th chapter of Acts, to the little church in Antioch, not the church in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. The little church in Antioch were just a handful of people. First called Christians. Hung out on this hill. And they had this wild place that they came to, this studio that they came to, mm-hmm. this little group of, you getting my drift here, guys? <laughs> yeah. This little group of five or six people who came together in prayer and fasting, and God sent the gospel westward through the integrity of their relational vessel in that church in Antioch. Mm. He sent the whole gospel westward. That's how it got to America. It started back there. You can find America in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts in that little church with five people. Mm -hmm. As he sent that gospel westward, you take it through the Reformation. You take it through all the struggles people had trying to figure out how faith interacted with government and all the struggles Mm -hmm. and the Crusades and the Reformation and the wars in Europe. And you come to the place of the American founding where a handful of people once again got together and said, God, if you don't build the house, we labor in vain that build it. So how do we build civil government that fits your pattern? Mm. And that was the prayer in 1787 in Mm. June in Philadelphia that Benjamin Franklin called the founders to. Now, were they starting a Christian nation? No, they were too smart for that. They knew Christian wasn't designed to modify nation Mm. or music Mm -hmm. or radio. (laughs) Christian only exists to modify us. Fleshed out in a life. It's only a mm. human term. Mm-hmm. They wanted to create a nation that was based on God's principles. Mm-hmm. James Madison said it best, if men were angels, we'd need no laws. Mm. So they knew they weren't going to create a Christian nation or a perfect government. They could create one that was redemptive. It reflected the principles. That's what they put together. So does that mean that we only deal with the the big broad stroke issues or do you get down to some of the nitty gritty issues? You got to tell the story of redemption and the story of how it all connects in the arena of civil government and you got to do more. You have to build an army, if you will, an army of concerned people that are active to be redemptive, not active to be reactionary. Mm -hmm. All right. And in America, because we live under a concept called the consent of the governed, which flows from 1 Samuel chapter 8 in the book of Genesis, we have the ability to amass numbers of influence. We have the right. And we, the people, have, have by God's grace inherited that right so that our numbers do count. But there's a big difference. We can never go into this fight based on the numbers mm-hmm. or the money or the power. It's not a popularity we, poll. We go into this fight based on the truth. You see, I was with a friend who we should get in here, too, by the name of Dr. Richard Dobbins, who founded Emerge Counseling Ministries years ago in Ohio. He made this comment to me a couple weeks ago in Naples, Florida. We're having dinner. He said, all thinking is spiritual warfare. Hmm. All thinking is spiritual warfare. We have to enter into the arena of public affairs with the mind of Christ. Hmm. That's the difference. And that is not a bombastic us against you. We're going to get our numbers together yeah. mentality. Yeah. It seems yeah. like we either are reactionary or we stay out of the battle altogether. We're terrified of sin. Uh, well, look, I understand we should be terrified of sin, but we should fear God more. Mm-hmm. All right, We should fear God and hate evil, but we got to understand something. People are going to do the wrong thing. They have those choices. Our job is to reflect the right side of what God wants in such a way that we win them because they see that living righteous 
is better for you. Talk about mm. the attitude when you, exactly. when you do that. Well, you have to come at this from a renewed mind. You can't come at it from a perspective of us against them, numbers, or following the pattern of this world. Yeah, we bring completely different weapons to the warfare. That's Amen. what you're saying. Amen, because there's two things we can do that are unique to Christians. One is we can pray and have a communion with God. Mm-hmm. The second is that we can give. Mm. Now, it's not that other non-believers can't give, but we can really give. And that's when things change, is when people hook up to God and lay down their lives. Mm. That's when things change. And the greatest thing is we don't need the prophet. We don't need the power. Mm-hmm. See, we have nothing to prove. We're all dead. Mm-hmm. We died with yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. You can't lose if you have nothing left to lose. Once you're dead, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something else. I've been to the top of the heap. I've been to the White House. I've set a few feet from the president, been through that whole game have mm-hmm. argued and screamed and yelled and shouted at, at governors and senators and all these kinds of folks. I'll tell you, been to the top, been back down the other side. It's better sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well said. Mm. Boy, you, we've been hanging out together all day here today. We had just a few minutes on mic together, but you'll come back. Yeah, okay. We'll talk about these things some more. We're out of time right now, but mm. uh, now you see why I wanted Dave to come in. Today. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want this, I want this uh, discussion to be uh, ongoing. Yeah, we'll pick it up. But that's it for today here in the studio with Michael Card. We hope you'll take a moment and send us your comments about today's program. And also don't forget to pass along your questions about the Bible and the Christian life for Michael to answer on future broadcasts. The email is simply in the studio at michaelcard.com. And please let us know how you're listening when you reach us at in the studio at michaelcard.com. And through the web, you can stay connected with all that's going on behind the scenes. Our address is simply michaelcard.com. And if you missed any part of this broadcast, then we hope you'll take full advantage of our radio archive. And now you can access the program through our podcast. You can find the program by typing Michael Card when you search the iTunes podcast directory. Also, another way to be reminded of today's session is through our email devotional. And a complete listing of Michael's music and books can be found by logging on to michaelcard.com. The scripture texts used on today's broadcast were from the New Living Translation. Our producer, Joe Carlson, and I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.